Well, the truth of the matter is you're in a spiritual battle. And your foe is an ancient supernatural being and a host of fallen angels. God would never leave you defenseless against such a formidable foe without proper training. So we're going to have some training this morning. We're going to have a training session. We're going to get our spiritual armor on. Let's read our text. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesian Christians, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you remember, Paul is writing to the Ephesian Christians from a Roman jail cell. He has he's chained off and on to the elite guards of Caesar And they may have looked something like this. See if we've got our first picture. Okay. They look something like that, if you can kind of imagine that in your mind. Now, I think, Paul, I know he would have had conversation with those soldiers and looked them over. And I think somewhere along the lines, a light bulb went off in his mind and thought, look at those men, these elite fighters who are trained for battle and who are equipped for battle. We Christians also are in a spiritual battle. Our equipment is spiritual. And it seems as what Paul has done here in the text, he's taken each major piece of the Roman soldier's equipment and applied it spiritually to the Christian, that this is our armor and our equipment as well. But before he talks about the equipment, he says you are to stand firm. That's that fighting posture that I showed you last week. And he repeats that several times, so we know that fighting posture, that stance, is very important. You're not to run. You're not to stand down. You're not to retreat. Your armor is chiefly on the front side of you. So that means you are to face the enemy, knowing that you are equipped for this battle. Don't stand down, but fight. You're to take up the whole armor of God. This armor is supplied to you by God. So put it on and leave it on. I suppose you could fight without it, but why would you want to? You have this equipment. Why would you want to fight unclothed, unarmed, unprotected? Again, take it up and fight. And we fight and we need this equipment to withstand the evil day. That means that phrase, when things are at their worst. Things are bad now. But things are going to get worse. We see a rise in evil in the earth where good things are called evil and evil things are called good. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 expresses it. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Jesus spoke of the time before his return as birth pangs, which would include wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in different places and pestilences and famines around the world. We see these things. The contractions seem to be getting closer together and more intense. This is certainly not the time to be lax spiritually, but to be alert spiritually and to be praying and living close to Jesus. Paul says, having done all to stand, conveys a sense of victory, standing till the end, vigorously opposing the enemy, bravely resisting, not giving ground, but standing true without wavering. The Christian life isn't a hundred meter dash. It's more like a marathon. If you're a sprinter, I mean, certainly the goal is to win. There may be only seven or eight of you in the race, and the race is very short. And the distances between them and the finish line are very close. So you want to win. But talking to marathon runners, usually what they say, the goal is to finish. I just want to cross the finish line. I want to finish well. And I want that for you. A lot of Christians start the Christian life well. They're on fire for Jesus. They love him. They're in the word. They're in fellowship with other believers. But then somewhere along the lines, they get distracted and become lukewarm. They get taken out or they quit the battle. I want you to finish well. I want you to finish your Christian life strong, loving Jesus, getting to know him more and more every day. I want you to make it to heaven. I want you to hold up under pressure. I want you to stand true for him. At the men's retreat yesterday, the theme for the retreat is men take a stand. That's an important word for us today. I want you to persevere until the end. I want to share a quote with you. An evangelist in the Salvation Army was consoling a colleague who was in spiritual despair. He felt Jesus no longer had any use for him. And so he encouraged him with the following. My dear troubled comrade, absolutely useless to God and man. You must please excuse me for breaking in on your comment, but I'm still laughing and rejoicing. Laughing at that ridiculous idea born in your tired brain and rejoicing to think what a black eye the devil is about to get. You say in your note to me, I was born to the fight and now that you are in a real fight, you feel that you are absolutely useless. No, no. You have often been on dress parade when you thought you were fighting. When you were at the head of a lot of shouting men and women cheered by thousands, the devil may have sat down, crossed his legs, and watched it all as a pretty performance. But he's on the job now. I imagine that I hear him hiss, now I'll crush him, now I'll smash his helmet of hope, now I'll rob him of his shield of faith, now I'll break his sword of the spirit, now I'll quench his spirit of prayer, and what a devil he is. 
Don't imagine that you are out of the fight. You are in it. You must fight the good fight of faith now in loneliness or weakness. But you will triumph. The great battles, the battles that decide our destiny and the destiny of generations yet unborn are not fought on public platforms, but in lonely hours of the night and in moments of agony. You were indeed born for the fight. So, brothers and sisters, fight on. Don't give up. Persevere strong to the end. And the victory will be yours if you do stand true until your death or to the second coming of Jesus Christ. You're going to face battles. You're going to take some hits. But you don't have to be defeated. You can be victorious. Paul in Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So take up your armor. Now let's look and see what it is. Each piece. The belt of truth. We have a picture. Yeah. Great. For women, belts are more fashion accessories. For us guys, they're more necessary and practical. They hold our pants up. They keep our shirt tucked in. They're functional. Look at a police officer's belt. It holds his gun. It holds other valuable pieces of equipment that he needs. The Roman soldier's belt was functional. It held his sword. He could tuck his robe into his belt, which would lift his robe up above his knees if he had to run. Truth keeps you from being tripped up. Truth is practical, functional, stabilizing. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? As if to imply sarcastically and cynically, there is no absolute truth. And people today share that sentiment. There are no absolutes. There's no right and wrong. I have my truth. You have your truth. You do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Jesus said, I am the truth. The truth is a person. Whereas Satan traffics in lies, he's the father of lies. The first conversation he ever had with human beings, he lied. He got Eve to question God's goodness. Did God really say? You can't be sure. Can't be sure about God. You should doubt him. Question God and his word. Truth isn't relative. It's revealed. God has revealed. Truth are the facts of the matter. Reality. Right versus wrong. God reveals truth to us. So we won't be deceived and believe the lie. Let me illustrate. You're driving down a very scenic road and it's a curvy road. So you can't see very far ahead of you. But you come to a sign that says bridge out ahead. Because you can't see the bridge is out. You just keep on driving down the road. So you're going to have a decision to make. You're either going to believe the sign or not. If you believe the sign... You're going to turn your car around and go back the other way, even though you can't see that the bridge is out. If you disregard the sign's message, you're going to keep going and eventually crash. The truth is that sign where God is saying to you, the bridge is out ahead. Beware, be alert, be praying, stay in my word, stay in the truth. If you disregard that danger ahead, God and his word is the truth. Put it on. How do I put it on? couple ways. By being in the word daily. 
I've emphasized that to you, and I can't emphasize it enough. You need to be in God's word every day, abiding in the truth, abiding in the vine and in God. Another way I put on the belt of truth is when I walk in love. First John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When I love, I'm walking in the truth. And when I don't love, I'm walking in a lie. It's easy to justify hatred and unforgiveness toward others. But then I'm open to the enemy's attacks. Let's look at the breastplate of righteousness. It looks something like this. It it was made of chain metal and it extended from the neck to the upper thigh. Both front and back were covered. The purpose of the breastplate was to protect your vital organs. If you take a hit there, you're probably going to die. It'd be similar to body armor or a bulletproof vest. It can save your life. Notice it's a breastplate. Of righteousness. What's righteousness? Some people have a negative idea of that word righteousness. Like, he's so righteous. He's holier than thou. Like the Pharisee of the New Testament. A person who looks down their nose on everyone else. That's self-righteousness. And that's not the idea here. Righteousness is used in the Bible two ways. The first way is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. That is a gift you're given at rebirth. When you're saved, you're given Christ's righteousness. First Corinthians one thirty says, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Imputed righteousness is how God accepts you. And you can only receive it. You can't earn it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The other kind of righteousness, I call it practical righteousness. Okay, Practical righteousness, which is living a holy life. Right actions spring from right actions. Inner motivations. The imputed comes before the practical. Imputed righteousness, which you're given at rebirth, comes before practical righteousness. In other words, I'm made holy so that I can live holy. When I don't live holy, Satan has an opening to hit my vital organs. He has a grounds for accusation against me. I'm vulnerable. Satan is drawn to unrighteousness like flies to stink. And when my actions stink, he comes. Jesus said of Satan, he has nothing on me. And when Satan appeared before God to condemn Job in Job chapters 1 and 2, we learned there God said Job was a righteous man. He had no grounds to accuse Job. And so the only way to attack Job was by God giving him permission. But if you live in sin, you're open to attack. How do I put on the breastplate of righteousness? Jesus said, you hunger and thirst for it. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or filled. Let's say you have 
reservations at a fancy restaurant and you're really looking forward to it. But your reservations are kind of late, later than you usually eat, and you're very hungry. And so you're driving there, and you are so hungry, you see a McDonald's and the Golden Arches, and you pull in, and you think, maybe I'll just get a snack. But, man, you get a meal there, and you're eating that hamburger and french fries and stuff. And now, as you get in your car to drive to your fancy restaurant, you're full. And you don't have room for the good stuff. And so, Well, maybe teenage boys might. Satan wants you to fill up on junk. He wants you distracted and busy. No time for God's word. Another way that I put it on is when I focus on God. Focus on God. Let me give you another driving illustration. You're driving down the road. And you, you, you take your eyes from looking straight ahead. And you focus your eyes on the car beside you. What happens when you focus your, car, your eyes on the car beside you? What? You begin to drift, don't you? You drift. You drift toward what you focus on. So keep your focus on God. Don't get distracted. Satan will lie to you in a myriad of ways to get you off track. Anything to get your eyes off God and onto the world and onto your problems where you stay focused there instead of God. God will satisfy you more than anything else in this world ever could. Let's talk about the shoes for your feet, the gospel of peace. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that picture has the bottom so you can see what that looks like as well. The Roman soldiers shoe, shoes were a key to the success of the Roman military. They marched great distances across a vast empire. And if your feet are hurting and your feet are tired, you're not going to march well. You're not going to fight well. Now, my mom's strategy was a little different. She loved to buy me the $3 Kmart blue light special tennis shoes, which did not last long at all. I was rough on shoes. I'd wear them out in a month or two, and she'd have to buy me another pair. So her strategy was to buy, keep buying him cheap tennis shoes because he wears them out anyway. I finally convinced her to buy the $14 Converse tennis shoes. I like the colors. But you know what? Those were better shoes and they lasted longer until I grew out of them, at least. So the Roman soldier's shoes were leather uppers tied at the calf with thick soles and knobs or cleats on the bottom for traction. Our shoes as believers are the gospel of peace. What does that mean? It means the good news about Jesus. Jesus made peace between God and us by the cross. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the peace with God that I have because of Christ leads to peace of God. Philippians 4.7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you experiencing that peace today in your life? Romans 16:20. This is a great strong word for you Christian soldiers out there. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Great things for you who share the gospel with others. So how do I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace? Romans 10:14 to 15. It says this. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I must share the gospel in word and deed. Both. Now, it's great to invite friends to church. I hope you'll do that. But wouldn't it be better to invite them into your home for a meal and then share Christ with them? To live the Christian life in front of the unbelieving person at work, at school, in the neighborhood? To walk the talk? To build relationships with them? To build a friendship with that unbelieving person? So that through that friendship, you've earned a right to speak into their life and share what God has done in your life. Let's talk about the shield of faith. Let's see the picture. Okay. Actually, the Roman soldier had two shields, a small round one and a large rectangular one. And the Greek word there is the large rectangular shield. The Roman soldier would plant it in the ground and fight behind it. So he always had cover. There was a way to connect his shield to his buddy's shield beside him, and then you made a wall. And the arrows would bounce off them. If the enemy was shooting flaming arrows, often the Roman soldier's shield was a wooden one covered in leather, soaked with water for the purpose of putting out the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's a shield of faith. What is faith? Taking God at his word. Now, I'm not talking about the faith message. That's putting your faith in the size of your faith. Mark 11:22, And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. True faith is putting whatever size of faith I have, be it very small or big, into a big God. Our problem, I think, isn't that we don't trust God, it's that we trust other things more. Maybe ourselves, or the doctor's report, or the news, or the president, whoever that may be, or the latest self-help book. Then we get in trouble. The Roman soldier didn't try to dodge the arrows. He wanted them to stick in his shield so they could be extinguished. Listen, you can't beat Satan at dodgeball. You can't duck his arrows. You are not Neo in the Matrix and you're able to dodge bullets. Get your shield up. I probably told you about my spiritual dream that I had many years ago. In this dream, I was clothed in spiritual armor from head to toe. Then I opened my mouth in the dream and somehow I was aware that the words coming out of my mouth were very doubt-filled, negative words. And then I saw the flaming arrows of the enemy flying into my mouth because that was the only unprotected place on my whole body. I usually don't get spiritual dreams quite that vivid and clear, but it made me thinking about what am I saying? What are are the words that are coming out of my mouth? Are they good for edifying and building up others or are they negative? Are they doubt filled and fear filled words? There's a practical way to put on. Faith, and that's to focus on God's faithfulness. 
Don't look at the size of your faith, but the size of your God. He's big. Get to know him. God is faithful to you, as we sang about earlier. And also connect your shield to other Christians' shields of faith. There's strength in numbers. Don't go it alone. The helmet of salvation. Yeah. Okay. The helmet was leather on the inside and bronze or iron on the outside. Sometimes it was decorated with feathers and plumes, and only a direct blow from an axe could crack it. The soldier would wear it, obviously, on his head, which covers your mind, where doubts and temptations originate. That's where the battle is fought. Remember, in the mind, in your thoughts. The enemy will lie to you and deceive you and trick you and get you to believe his lies. Then he has the advantage over you. God wants you to be in the word, reading the truth, speaking the truth, living the truth, and responding to the truth. He wants you to be saved. It's a helmet of salvation. Can you remember when you were saved? For me, it was a definitive moment. One moment and I was unsaved and the next moment I was saved. Oftentimes, Christian experiences, they, they just feel like they gradually come to saving faith. But whatever your experience is, it's good to think about that. To think about your salvation. And praise God for it. God wants you to understand it and believe it and hold to it so you won't be as easily prey to the accusations of the enemy. You're not really a Christian. Put it on. So where was Satan defeated? On the cross. He doesn't want you to think about the cross because you'll defeat him there too. So focus on the cross. Meditate on it. Ponder its depths. And you'll see it starting to change your old thinking patterns. Finally, we have the sword of the Spirit. Okay. The Roman soldier carried two swords, a long one, which is the one we see in the movies, and a short, more dagger-like knife. For in close fighting, the Greek word there is the shorter knife used for hand-to-hand combat. Remember, we looked at that last week, how vicious the fighting was, eyeball to eyeball, with, with the, their, their small swords. What is our sword? The Bible, the Word of God. How did Jesus defeat Satan in the wilderness? He said, it is written. He quoted Scripture. What did he quote? He quoted Deuteronomy three times. Have you ever read Deuteronomy? It's in the Old Testament. And Jesus used it to defeat Satan. So know and use the word of God. So let me ask you, what does your sword look like? Is it like the Roman soldier's sword or is it more like a butter knife? You know, because why? Why would it be a butter knife? Because you really don't know the word. You don't read the Bible. You you don't memorize it and apply it to your life. So you've got a little butter knife out there. That word for word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the Greek word. Not the common word logos, but the unusual word rhema, which means special word for special circumstances. 
You ever read the Bible and something jumps off of the page at you? You may have read it, read it many times before, but suddenly this is a word for you today. That's, that's the idea of a rhema. You're in the Logos and a rhema comes alive to you. A word for today, a word for you. And the word of God is our only offensive weapon. So stab Satan with a word. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice it's double-edged. It works for me and on me. I like it when it works for me, not so much when it works on me. And it's the sword of the spirit. Notice it. He wields it. The spirit. He knows where to cut especially on me. Ouch, that hurts. Then he heals me and I'm stronger. How do I put it on? A daily quiet time. Once again, back to the word of God, the truth. Spend time in God's word. Make time for it. Make that a priority in your life. Read it. Meditate upon it. Study it. Memorize it. Apply it. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3. But the Lord is faithful. That's been a theme this morning. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I'm so glad to know that's the bottom line for me. He gives me armor. I put it on each morning by prayer. He equips me for the challenges of the day. And I admit, some days it feels like I'm losing the battle. But I know I'm going to win the war. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again, for the practical manner of your word. It's so helpful to us in our daily lives. Each of us face different trials and challenges that the enemy wants to get in and attack in various ways. But we're not ignorant of his schemes. We're on to him, Lord. And so we have our shield up and our sword in our hand, and we will fight. We're not going to back down. We're not going to retreat. And we're going to persevere until the end. Because you're going to give us strength. It's your power. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We know that. That's the truth about us. That's who we are in Christ. We're equipped. So equip my brothers and sisters today for whatever challenges they will face. That you are more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.